It is Wednesday, August 26th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And COVID has changed everything this year and this fantasy football season. We don't have any preseason games to help us read depth charts or judge these guys in action. But even this altered landscape is providing us plenty of training camp news. And some of it has shifted our rankings so far, right, Jared? It has been so nice to have, you know, even the even the dumb training camp reports come in, you know, beat writers making player projections. And it's, it's just been nice to have something to chew on and, you know, may, maybe make some slight adjustments to the rankings. So you don't think the Trey Burton's going to catch 90 balls as I just <laughs> saw on Twitter a few minutes ago? No, but he's going to catch more than you think he's going <laughs> to. I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> we will be looking at some key risers and fallers based on summer action so far. But let's start with some notes on players that didn't really fit into the riser or faller categories. And I wanted to start with a couple of workhorse, I guess. We'll see just how horsey they are in their work. But Dalvin Cook is up first. And, you know, ESPN has started doing this annual 24-hour live stream fantasy stuff to like officially kick off fantasy football season for them. And I caught that Adam Schefter, quote unquote, reported that it would give him pause to draft Dalvin Cook in round one without a contract extension. Obviously, that's not an actual report. So anybody that's calling it a report is is being silly. Now, I guess without judging Adam's level of, I don't know, knowledge on this particular thing, Jared, are you worried about taking David Cook in the middle of round one without a contract extension before the regular season? It's so strange. Like Schefter didn't just say that and have nothing to base on. Like he he has to have heard something, but he also hasn't come out and reported that you know Dalvin Cook is even considering holding out. So it's in the back of my mind, but I'm still drafting Dalvin Cook at five and after those big four running backs, you know. Alexander Madison, he's not cheap, but he's cheap enough where if you're that worried about it, just spend an eighth round pick on Alexander Madison. You lock up the Vikings backfield. You have, you know, an RB1. See, this is the thing. Every year, it seems like at this time, and I can't remember the specifics from last year or the year before, but it seems like every year right around this time, Adam Schefter is thinking about his own fantasy teams, and he comes out with something like that, (laughs) that because it's Adam Schefter, everybody treats it like he's got inside info. But when he does, he says, my sources tell me, don't trust that Dalvin Cook is going to play week one. He doesn't say it would give me pause to draft Dalvin Cook. To me, this is just a guy who plays fantasy saying, I don't know about taking Dalvin Cook with this contract extension up in the air. For me, it doesn't change anything because I don't think he's actually reporting anything. I mean, I can understand if you don't want to take Dalvin Cook in round one. If that's the case, just don't. But I've heard people react to it and they're like, well, Maybe I'll, I can't move Dalvin Cook out of round one, but maybe he's down farther. I mean, what's the point of that? Like, here are the running backs going behind him right now in round one in best ball 10 to 80, ADP just since August 15th. Clyde Edwards Elaire, Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders. I mean, I guess I can understand if you say you feel more comfortable with Derrick Henry over Dalvin Cook, but I mean, if Dalvin Cook belongs in round one, then take him where you've been taking him. And to me, he's the fifth running back off the board. 
Yeah, and to me, you know, Cook was sort of, I guess, in his own tier. I, I didn't have him up with the top four guys, but in our projections, he's quite a ways ahead of you know the Derrick Henrys, the Joe Mixons, that tier you were mentioning. So it's not like it was close, and I'm going to use this as a tiebreak. I mean, De- Delvin Cook was the number two running back in fantasy football last year before the shoulder injury started. You know, I think he has that type of upside again. He he has the ceiling to be at least in that you know Zeke Elliott, Alvin Kamara tier of running back. So if you had him closer to Henry or Mixon or Clyde Edwards-Alaire before this news and it's a fine tiebreaker, but I didn't. So Cook stays ahead of those guys for me. Yeah, easily ahead of them for me. I mean, could Clyde Edwards Elaire outscore him? Sure, because he plays for Kansas City and Damian Williams is out of the way. Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook aren't particularly close for me. I know that there's been some talk this week about Derrick Henry's involvement in the passing game. I mean, I would love, I would love to watch Derrick Henry line up out wide and run <laughs> receiver routes. I don't think that that's going to happen. Maybe he catches ten more. Um, swing passes or, or screens this year, but Derrick Henry is not going to catch 60 balls like Dalvin Cook could this year. And the receiver situation, which we'll talk about later, only adds reception upside to Dalvin Cook. So I, I agree with you. He was fifth for me. He's still fifth for me. There's a gap between him and the rest of the guys in round one. Definitely not changing anything. I hope that maybe, you know, we get another like small window of greater Dalvin Cook value where he's sliding to ninth, 10th, 11th in round one. If you're still doing best ball drafts, like he did back in say June when people were worried about his holdout initially. Yeah. And again, Alex Madison looks like the clear handcuff. I think back when we did the NFC North preview podcast, we talked about maybe Mike Boone making it more of a committee if Cook misses time, but everything I've read out of Vikings camp is, you know, Madison's the clear number two guy and he'd get, you know, 70, 80% of the Dalvin Cook workload. If Cook does hold out or miss time with injury. Todd Gurley, Hasn't done anything in particular lately, which is good. We don't, we haven't heard anything about his knees bothering him. But the news this week is that OC Dirk Cutter said the plan is at least 15 touches a game and as many as 25 touches, probably keeping it closer to 15 in most weeks. But it's nice that they at least are open to the possibility of 25. And really, just the comforting thing here is that's the range that we've been expecting for Gurley. So it's confirmation to me to keep drafting him where we've been drafting him. Right. Actually, a pretty realistic projection from a coach. You know, these guys normally talk about getting their backs 30 to 35 touches per game. So 15 to 25, actually doable. And yeah, the actual numbers don't matter as much as it's it's better than hearing, you know, Cutter come out and say, you know, we're going to have this touch limit or snap limit on Todd Gurley. It seems like, you know, as long as that knee holds up, he's going to get at least the type of volume we saw Devontae Freeman get for Atlanta last year. And that made Freeman, you know, a solid running back too in fantasy. And he did not say, we have three guys that we consider starting backs here and Gurley and Ito Smith and Brian Hill. So (laughs) that's the important part here. Again, I think it's confirmation to just keep taking Todd Gurley. I do wish that Todd Gurley could be a Bruce Arians running back for, you know, just a week. (laughs) We could hear Arians say, well, he can handle 35 to 40 touches a game. That would move Gurley into round two of fantasy drafts. We've actually seen him drop into round four now because like a week ago, there was one of the Falcons beat writers said like they saw Todd Gurley limping around the practice field. And I I swear that shot is ADP down like a full round. So I've seen him drop into the fourth now, you know, Gurley, not not a guy I'm ever excited to draft, but you know, especially in the fourth round, I think he's going to be like at least a high end RB two as long as he's on the field this season. Yeah. I agree with the lack of excitement on him, but in the round three where every running back has question marks on him, I feel just fine about Todd Gurley on to the injury section before we get to the aforementioned risers and fallers. And just today, Wednesday, David Montgomery got carted off the field 
after getting injured. It sounds like it's just a groin strain, just a groin strain. I'm sure it hurts. I saw the video of it and he was certainly looked like he was in plenty of pain. But obviously when you hear carted off and if you hear non-contact injury, you start thinking about knee ligaments and stuff like that. So it doesn't sound like it was as serious as it could have been. We don't yet know how serious it could be though. And we're going to have to watch it over the next couple of days to see if the Bears tell us how long they expect Montgomery to be out and if they start looking at temporary replacement options. Yeah, that's a nice thing here. The, the Bears' depth chart behind Montgomery is so weak that like, if if there's any chance he's going to miss regular season time, they're going to have to add someone. And you know, I think Devontae Freeman is the obvious name sitting out there who would be a good fit there, I think, just to at least get them by. So we should find out, I think, based on whether Chicago makes a move, if Montgomery's going to miss time. You mentioned just watching the video, it you know, sure looked like a at least a pretty significant growing injury that you know could cost some time. We're only, what, like three weeks away from the start of the season now. So we did move Montgomery down the running back rankings, like 10 to 15 spots. He's like in the mid-30s now. I'd uh, be curious to see where he goes in drafts over the next week or so now. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy that I was already not particularly interested in. Uh, it, I'll have to see who he's going near and where I'm at running back-wise. It's it's also just kind of another nudge toward taking two or three of them before yep. you even get to that point. So you can just skip that whole section, you know, take Zach Moss later and load up on wide receivers in that range. Yeah, I had actually been warming up to Montgomery a tad. There have been reports that, you know, he's dropped a few pounds this offseason, had been looking a bit faster in training camp. I think that was the, the issue last year. He just wasn't breaking off any big plays. So he was a guy that had been kind of, you know, climbing my own personal rankings. But now, of course, it's a brand new situation with the with the groin. Uh, you got to lose at least 15 pounds to impress me because I drop <laughs> a few pounds each week and then hit the weekend and put them back on. <laughs> Good for you. Cordero Patterson, by the way, somebody that I think is worth looking at at the very end of a best ball draft because they're apparently working him more as a running back this year. And I'm not saying that he's going to turn into a guy that gets significantly weak, significant weekly touches, but Cordero Patterson is a guy who, if he's getting, I don't know, five touches a game, he's going to score a few touchdowns just on big plays on those. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he'd need 10 or so touches per game to be a guy we can count on in lineup setting leagues, but in best ball, especially mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, in the, in the deep FFPCs and you get into the, you know, 20, 20 plus round territory, I think Patterson's someone you can, you can keep an eye on now. Yeah, I don't think that he's going to be a lineup setting worthy guy because I don't think you'll be able to rely on him. But, you know, as these best balls wind down, we do we have a little bit more time to get those in before uh, the door closes. Paris Campbell did not get hurt on the football field. He is in the concussion protocol, however, after a car accident. It's an unfortunate turn for a guy who's having a buzzy summer. Concussions are tough to read. We're far enough out from the season where it shouldn't inhibit his start to the regular season. And I wouldn't say we should worry about it now, but obviously we'll have to watch it. Yeah, first documented concussion for Paris Campbell, which helps. Yeah, like we said, we're about three weeks out. These guys usually come back from concussions, usually within you know one to two weeks. So I wouldn't I'm not expecting him to miss regular season time at this point. But man, he he had a bunch of tough luck injuries last year. Now he has this, so kind of stinks for him, but still someone I'm definitely eyeing um, you know, as like a later round flyer at wide receiver. As I've been looking at our rankings, you know, for various articles and stuff this week, he's somebody that I keep wondering if we have him ranked too low. I mean The tough part about it is because the range in which I think you draft him is when you should not really be looking at the rankings and you should just be, you know, scanning the list for big upside guys. And to me, Campbell is one of those guys that you don't draft him where he is in the rankings. You get into the double digit rounds and you say, all right, I'm going to take Paris Campbell because there's a chance that he gets a lot more targets than what we can realistically project him for. 
Yeah, the Colts target tree is, I think, tough to figure out. I mean, we have T.Y. Hilton, I think, is the clear one. There's been a lot of talk about Rivers targeting his tight ends and, and running backs a lot in camp, so that would mean Naheem Hines and Jack Doyle and Trey Burton. And then you have Michael Pittman there, too, who I think Campbell will be you know, fighting with for the number two wide receiver spot as far as targets go. So tough to project him for a lot of targets, but you know, definitely – possible to see him finishing you know second or third on that team in targets by the end of the season yeah so just know that if you look at the draft sharks rankings and you're like why is paris campbell all the way down there i mean it's just because we're trying to be realistic with how we're sorting out the the targets but obviously there are several different moving parts in the whole picture where if something goes this way and something else goes that way paris campbell could way outperform where we have him. definitely deontay johnson has an apparent calf injury i haven't seen the steelers address it specifically but i've seen multiple reports that say he had an apparent calf injury he's been out of practice for about a week i, I don't know that deontay johnson is still out today wednesday but i haven't seen any indication that he returned to the field no, either have I. We don't know much about this. Um, not ideal, obviously. We haven't moved Johnson in the rankings yet. The, the buzz has sort of seemed to move away from Deontay Johnson and other guys, maybe because he hasn't been, you know, doing anything on the, the training camp field. So, um, you know, he, he's okay where he's going. Still, so I'm not, I'm not going to avoid him because of this calf injury. But we'll, you know, hopefully he's able to get on the field the next week or so. If he's still out, you know, a week from now, I think it'll be time to worry a bit more. Yeah, I won't avoid him specifically because of this, but. He's somebody that I haven't really landed on very often anyway, so it's certainly not going to make me gravitate toward him. And Chase Claypool has had room to generate buzz. You know, tough to know whether that means that Chase Claypool is going to actually become a thing for fantasy owners this year. I would still bet against that, but he's at least, you know, tall and fast. He's going to impress people at practice. Yeah, and I've seen some positive stuff on James Washington over the past couple of weeks. So, you know, they, they have depth. In Pittsburgh, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll get to Big Ben and how he's looking coming off the elbow injury. So, you know, d- definitely an offense that I've warmed up to over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll talk about Ben Roethlisberger in a few minutes. And James Washington is a guy that interests me more than Chase Claypool because they're both going in the same range. And James Washington has at least a few years in the league with the team. Yeah, it sure seems like Washington's ahead of Claypool still right now. Kenyon Drake has has been in a walking boot. I, I don't have a live feed on him, so I don't know whether he's wearing it as we speak. <laughs> but he has been seen in a walking boot. Now, that always makes us freak out. Even if you have the wherewithal to calm yourself down, it, it's an instant freak out wondering what's wrong. The Cardinals are trying to downplay it. Cliff Kingsbury says it's, quote, just kind of precautionary, just some normal nicks and bruises. Kenyon Drake says, quote, no worries, I'm good. Now. I get the downplay and I get that there's a wide range of things for a walking boot. We've seen guys be wearing a walking boot on Tuesday or Wednesday and then play on Sunday. We've seen guys be in a walking boot and then have season ending foot surgery. So I don't think that Kenyon Drake is heading for season ending foot surgery. I also don't believe that it's just normal nicks and bruises. Otherwise we would be talking about the five Cardinals that were in a walking boot this week. For me, it's a little bit worrisome for a guy like Kenyon Drake. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not ideal. I think it's worth noting, too, that um, the Cardinals have been holding DeAndre Hopkins out of training camp, too, with a minor hamstring injury. So it, it does seem like they're erring on the side of caution, especially with, you know, their top offensive weapons. I, I don't expect to learn much more about mm-hmm. this injury before week one. Um, it'd be nice to see Drake back in. I, I think with, with someone like Drake, and even I think you throw Miles Sanders into this bucket, too, with his, you know, lower body injury, which is all we know about that. It, it's, it, it's a tiebreaker. Like, they're in that tier of running backs with the Joe Mixons, the Clyde Edwards, Alaire, the Josh Jacobs, you know, if, if you want to play it safer, I think you knock Drake and Sanders at least to the bottom of that tier right now. For me, I'm taking Sanders over Drake because I trust the offense more and there's no, there's no boot involved. You know, I have no idea 
if that means one injury is more serious than the other, but that's just mm-hmm. my personal thing. I'm on the clock. I'm choosing between them. It's Sanders for me right now. That's fair. So that's it for the injury section. Now on to the risers before we get to the fallers, because we like to be positive when we can. And the first one is Damian Harris. And obviously, Sonny Michelle's foot surgery has helped Damian Harris get more reps. And it seems like he has certainly maximized this opportunity. He's been generating buzz throughout camp and has recently climbed our running back rankings. Yeah, I think Harris has climbed the most of any player in our rankings, um, you know, since training camps open, I think, you know, a month ago, he was just this flyer you might look at in the 14th or 15th round. Now he's, you know, we haven't projected to lead the Patriots in carries. Sonny Michelle did return to practice today. His first practice since that May foot surgery, it sounds like Michelle and Harris were basically splitting reps with the first team. So it, it's not like the job is, is Damien Harris. I think, you know, it's, it's going to be, a battle. We'll see if Michelle can can stay healthy. But yeah, like you said, Harris has been impressing both as a runner and as a receiver. And that's obviously something Sony Michelle hasn't done. So, you know, that that might give Damian Harris the edge, you know, in addition to just being younger, being healthier. And it would also make Harris a more intriguing fantasy option than Michelle ever was. Cause if he can, you know, get that Michelle ball carrying role and even add, you know, 25 to 30 catches, um, he's gonna, you know, obviously be a better fantasy option over the length of the season and just be more reliable on a week to week basis. Yeah, it would certainly be nice to get a running back that gives us rushing and receiving there because we don't usually get that in New England. And it's not like Sonny Michelle has really been doing anything that well. I mean, he's been kind of the lead goal line guy, but it's not because he's a bulldozer and he hasn't been a particularly efficient runner and he's not flashy. So there's definitely room for Damian Harris to work past and stay ahead of Sonny Michelle here. It's still a backfield, and especially as we get more guys healthy and in the picture that I'm just really not high on being a part of as I get into the regular season and get to my lineup setting rosters because I know that they're going to score points. James White's going to score some points. One between Sonny Michelle and Damian Harris at least is going to score points, and Rex Burkhead is going to have some spike weeks here and there. The fact that they're all there, though, makes me worry that it's not going to be predictable who's scoring week to week. And the fact that Cam Newton's the quarterback even has me less enthusiastic about James White than I was back at the beginning of draft season. So I'm just kind of out on Patriots running backs unless it's late in the draft and I'm taking like a fifth. Yeah, I mean, Newton might be bad for James White. He might be bad for Damian Harris and Sonny Michelle, too, if he's going to steal some of that goal line work. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, so much of Michelle's value has come from his touchdown uh, scoring ability. And, you know, that's obviously a reason I think we'd like Damian Harris, too. He has the size to be that guy. Harris still going in the 10th round in, in recent drafts. I think he's worth a shot there. I get if you just want to avoid the Patriots and lineup setting leagues, I think it's a better situation to invest in in best ball. But even in lineup setting, to me, Damian Harris is the guy that I'm going to target if he's you know still there in the double-digit rounds as like my fourth or fifth running back. Yeah, I mean, for me, like if Adrian Peterson's on the board at the same time, I have an easier time taking Adrian Peterson because I think he has a clearer path to leading his backfield and carries. Listen, I've gotten better about drafting old guys, but I'm not taking AP over Damian Harris. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a shot on the upside of Harris. Yeah, I'll talk to you after your kid is born. You can't do it anymore, and you realize just how impressive it is that an old guy can still get it done. It is impressive, but... (laughs) Ronald Jones has been climbing up draft boards for over the past couple months, really, and he's somebody that I've been moving along with. Lately, Keyshawn Vaughn has actually gotten on the field after he he started camp on the COVID list. He's not impressing yet. According to Pewter Report's Scott Reynolds, Vaughn has looked like Peyton Barber so far, which is not a nice thing to say about somebody. 
So mean, so mean. I can't believe you wrote that. Um, yeah, I mean, this this has been a combination of Keyshawn Vaughn struggling and Ronald Jones impressing. Uh, Bruce Arians has talked up Jones a couple times. He, he called him the main guy in the backfield. Uh, Arians also talked up Jones's pass protection, which I, I think was the biggest concern heading into this season. Jones was not good in that department last season, and now, of course, he's you know going to be protecting 43-year-old Tom Brady. So it's definitely important. Um, it sounds like he's sort of proven himself there. So at this point, I'm expecting Jones to enter the season – as you know, the pretty clear lead back in Tampa. We'll see exactly how big a role he plays in the passing game, and I think he's going to dominate carries out of the gate. Yeah, and so you'll get lots of people now ringing alarm bells for how high Ronald Jones is going versus where he started, but he's still outside the first five rounds in Best Ball 10's ADP. That's a format where you're only getting his spike weeks, where you're drafting a bunch of running backs and letting the system set the lineup for you. I absolutely think that Ronald Jones belongs in the range where he has moved up to. I I mean, I think given what his coach has said about him, given Tom Brady arriving, which makes the situation better for him, you know, than having Jameis Winston, even if the offense scores the same number of points and gets the same amount of yardage, it's a better spot for a running back than it has been because they're going to get more receptions. And I think that he has climbed the totem pole in that range. So I think Ronald Jones is a guy that should be going consistently at least inside round five. I think he's the kind of guy that you should see, you know, here and there, like a draft here or there where he goes in the middle of round four, you get surprise picks, maybe even the end of round three. I think that's the kind of situation that he's in. So the fact that he's still near the five, six turn, I'm absolutely totally on board with Ronald Jones there. And that's from somebody who started draft season, not on board with Ronald Jones at all. Yeah, me too. I think fifth round is fair value for Jones. Like, you know, that's that's with Cam Akers. That's you know where David Montgomery was going before his injury. I, I mean, I don't even think it's crazy to take Jones over guys like Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. Like, I think his workload maybe isn't quite as safe, but I also think you know he he's a guy who might still be ascending. There's a chance he even out touches guys like Bell and David Johnson. So, um, you know, even you know late fourth round, uh, if you're needy for a running back and you don't like those you know older guys, I think Jones starts to make sense there. And does he have downside risk? Sure. But if I if my fifth round pick doesn't work out, then I should be able to overcome that. Wide receiver Jalen Rager, every day it seems like brings another round of buzzy write-ups, whether it's tweets or articles or whatever for Jalen Rager, who seems like he has quickly built a connection with Carson Wentz. Yeah, I'd say one of, if not the buzziest players of camp so far. Maybe that's just because there are so many damn Eagles beat writers. That's got to be the team that has the most coverage at least it seems like it's me Rager been running with the first team he, he's reportedly been lining up at all three receiver spots he, he's obviously going to have a big week one role and his ADP is still sitting in the 10th round right now I think that's that's a fair price I mean I, I still prefer Deshaun Jackson who, who goes later but, I mean you can draft both those guys and I think you'd be just fine yeah and that's what I've been looking at especially if I'm stacking for best ball is is trying to get Carson Wentz first and then Jalen Rager then Deshaun Jackson and I know that even if I miss Rager, I agree that Deshaun Jackson remains the better value. Still mid-round 12 or later for DJX in ADP. Jalen Rager has climbed to where he's going anywhere from like late round 9 to middle or late round 10. So I don't think you can expect to get Rager after that. I still think if I'm betting between them for who scores more fantasy points, I would have to bet on Deshaun Jackson. And I, I mean, I guess there's injury risk there, but... Injury risk versus a rookie wide receiver. I, I feel better betting on Deshaun Jackson outscoring him. I think Rager probably has the higher ceiling, but I, I agree. I think Jackson's still a bit of a safer bet, and especially, like we said, you can get him two, three rounds later. I, I still prefer him among the two, but again, I think drafting both of them is not a bad idea because at, at this point, they look like they're pretty t- two clear 
favorites to you know lead the Eagles and Eagles wide receivers and targets. Yeah, and I certainly wouldn't comfortably bet either one over the other. But as you said, they're go- if you can get one in round 10 and one in round 12, and one of them works out this season, that's going to be a coup for you. J.J. Yep. Ortega-Whiteside, by the way, has been generating some buzz. <laughs> they Apparently, uh, a reporter asked him about a specific touchdown catch, but didn't specify. And J.J. said, are you going to have to specify? Because I caught several of those. <laughs> so he's feeling the part, it sounds like. Yeah, he's got that swag working again. Um, it's good to see. I, I I have more J-Jaw than I care to admit. I take him in like the 25th round of all these FFPC best ball drafts I do. And I feel I, I feel fine about it again. I mean, I think there, there's there's room there. If he is anywhere close to the guy I, I thought he was coming out of Stanford, um, you know, we could see Rager, Deshaun Jackson, and Ortega Whiteside as Eagles top three wide receivers come week one. I get chills when I hear that as the wide receiver lineup. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a ready-to-go Ortega Whiteside should be – along the lines of Alshon Jeffrey. There's certainly room for all three of them to fit in. And obviously it's going to be tough to support as many pass catchers in fantasy as they have. But at the range where you're getting them, you're just taking a shot that they turn into something more than that draft slot. Yeah, and just another reason to draft Carson Wentz. I think he remains Mm -hmm. one of the best values at quarterback. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about the tight ends in this spot or Miles Sanders. There's so much around him. Brandon Ayuk was getting easier to make a case for before he got hurt. He has moved up the rankings still overall because of Debo Samuel being out and then Jalen Hurd got hurt. So the targets were just there waiting for him. Of course, over this past weekend, Brandon Ayuk suffered a mild hamstring strain. He's week to week. We'll see when he makes it back. I'm not overly worried right now. It's it's a bummer because I was really liking Brandon Ayuk in like, round 11, round 12 range. So it's a bit of a bummer, but the 49ers had workouts for other receivers and they only signed River Craycraft. (laughs) He has been around the league for three years with the Broncos and Eagles. He has totaled two regular season targets. So to me, that says the Niners thought we need more bodies here at wide receiver. We don't need a replacement. Yeah, um, it will obviously see about Ayuk when he's able to get back on the field. Not ideal for a rookie to be missing, you know, this camp time. But like you said, he did get off to an awesome start. It seemed like he was in line to, to be San Francisco's number one wide receiver to open the season if Debo Samuel wasn't ready. You know, he's still iffy for week one. Although it seems like the Niners are getting more optimistic about Debo's chances of playing in the opener. So that's another guy to keep an eye on, obviously. But I, I still think Ayuk's a guy I'm going to target even in like the 12th round, um, which is where his recent ADP has been. You might be able to get him later now with the injury, but I think when he's healthy, he's going to be a big part of this passing game. Yeah. And I was regularly seeing him go beyond that, even in best ball drafts. And Dr. Jesse Morse did tell us on our recent podcast with him that if you wait beyond, I think it was the 10 week recovery period for Debo Samuels, Jones fracture, those guys have done well in their recovery. So uh, if you can get Debo in the double digit rounds, I'm okay with him too. I've, yeah. I've said before, I'm a little bit apprehensive, but again, if we're talking round 10 or later and you're just taking guys because of the upside, then I can certainly get behind Debo in that range. Yeah, definitely. What about Kendrick Bourne and Trent Taylor? Are you interested at all in those guys? I can see them being like DFS options come week one if Ayuk and or Samuel aren't ready, but in redraft, I, I want to aim higher. I just don't see much upside with either, either of those guys. Maybe like, you know, in the round 20 plus in best ball, and you're just trying to get some guys who, you know, can give you 10 to 12 point weeks, but I don't see enough upside to, you know, roster them in drafts of, you know, 20 or, or fewer rounds. Yeah. Particularly in offense, that doesn't want to throw the ball a lot. I, I think Kendrick Bourne is fine. Very late when you're taking somebody like Russell Gage. I think that's a good kind of comparison for him because, you know, there is a chance that both Debo and Brandon Ayuk are not ready for week one. And then all of a sudden, if Kendrick Bourne's the number one wide receiver, 
It's mm-hmm. not hard to find him seven or eight targets in the opener and get him a start or two. Yeah, and the Niners seem to like Bourne, especially in the red zone, which, you know, obviously gives mm-hmm. them some upside. Someone, someone I'll be at least looking at the price on in DFS if Ayuk and mm-hmm. or Samuel don't play week one. Ben Roethlisberger, we mentioned earlier, and that's the most positive tone you'll ever hear me use mentioning Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. Man. But good reports on his elbow throughout camp so far. No other issues that indicate he's knocking off rust. So he's moved up our rankings. He's moved up my plan for drafting so far. And yet, even though he's moving up, he's still in a good value range. We have not seen Ben Roethlisberger play without Antonio Brown yet in a lot of years, at least. But the last two times that we did see him play, albeit with Antonio Brown, he was QB3 and QB9 in 2017-2018. He's currently QB17 in best ball ADP, QB 16 in FFPC drafting. So all you need is spot starts from Ben Roethlisberger at that level. And we know he's capable of at least some big games. Yeah, he's not a guy I'm like aggressively targeting still. He's just another potential lower end quarterback one that just helps you wait on the position if that's what you want to do. Just just adding another name to the mix. And obviously Big Ben looking good. Um, is, is is big news for all the wide receivers there, for Juju Smith-Schuster, for, for Deontay Johnson, for Eric Ebron even, and, and even James Conner. I mean, Conner needs Ben healthy and keeping that offense on schedule if he's going to you know have a bounce-back season. So I think it's helped all of those guys. You know, Big Ben was the probably the player I was most interested in to see how he looked in August, and it's been positive stuff on him so far. One reason to perhaps consider going a little bit more aggressively at this stage, I think, after Roethlisberger, is his schedule starts out nicely. They're at the Giants in week one. We know about home versus road, Ben, so maybe you don't want to start him in week one, but we're, no, we're also talking about QB 16 and ADP, so that's not the guy you're usually drafting, expecting to start right away. But after that game, home for Denver, home for Houston, at Tennessee, then home for Philly, and home for Cleveland. So at the very least, I think that's three starts in the first six weeks for a guy that you're taking outside the top 12, a quarterback. I think probably at least the four home games we would start Roethlisberger for. I would imagine that he'll land in our top 12 for those four weeks. And I mean, you know, if you wait really late, you could consider starting Roethlisberger in week one at the Giants. And then we'll kind of gauge those first three weeks to see about him at Tennessee. Ultimately, you know, there's a chance that he performs as a top 12 quarterback for each of the first six weeks. Yeah, definitely. And, and this is a discussion for another podcast, probably, but I'm not even sure home road stuff's going to matter this season with the, you know, no or limited fans at games this year. Yeah, it's a good point. Chris Herndon moving on to the tight ends. Buzz for him since they took the field this summer and on a team really with little to buzz about and especially little as they've had some injuries at wide receiver. But Chris Herndon lost all of 2019, basically, to injury. Before that, though, he had a really impressive 2018 rookie season, especially when you consider how rookie tight ends usually play. Chris Herndon has definitely moved up for me and overall in our rankings. Yeah, really strong rookie season. I think he was like top 10 among rookie tight ends in receiving yards over the past 10 seasons. He's been talked up by Adam Gase. He's been talked up by multiple Jets beat writers. It basically sounds like Chris Herndon and Jameson Crowder have been clearly the two best players on offense at Jets camp so far. Now, Denzel Mims has been out with a hamstring injury basically since the start of camp. 
Rashad Perriman has been sidelined the past few days with, with some injury of his own. You know, we'll see if those guys are ready for week one. I think Mims at least is going to get off to a slow start after missing all that time as a rookie. So um, I, I would expect Crowder and, and Herndon to be the, the top two targets in that passing game out of the gate. Chris Herndon has basically switched spots with Jay Sternberger for me, maybe even moved a couple spots higher than where I had Sternberger with, with Sternberger's slow start and all the Robert Tanyan is the mm-hmm. next George Kittle buzz in Green Bay. I wish ultimately that I had waited a little bit on the Sternberger Mike Jasucki bet. So that maybe <laughs> I could have gotten some Chris Herndon Mike Jasucki action. Yeah, I'm not even sure I do that at this point. I like Herndon that much. I bet a couple weeks ago I could have gotten that. I wish I yeah, wish I waited a little bit. I, I think that you know after <laughs> this many years that you just strike when I'm talking up a player because I'm such a I'm so thick headed. I'm just gonna make a bet on it. You gotta get a beer bet in whenever you can. I'm always game. <laughs> Elsewhere at tight end, Tyler Eifert has risen basically because he has to, because unfortunately <laughs> Josh Oliver was it a foot fracture for him, so he's out. Yeah, he he was placed on IR and he, you know, he's not eligible to be designated to return so Oliver's done for the season so Eifert is is the tight end in Jacksonville for as long as he can stay healthy he did play all 16 games last season was decent in Cincinnati he's someone just no one wants to draft and I get it he's disappointed us so many times but you know especially in best ball and FFPCs I've taken him a lot I think he's a nice you know third or fourth tight end Um, you know I think there's no there's no clear number two wide receiver in Jacksonville even so I think Eifert could play a pretty big role in that passing game for a team that's going to be playing from behind quite a bit this year. Yeah, he's absolutely somebody who could step up early in the season as, you know, a tight end streamer, as a nice uh, DFS option, and more of an option in redraft leagues than you would anticipate heading in. Never going to excite you to draft him, but there's obviously room for him. Yep. Especially if you're going to draft Gardner Minshew in round one and get you a free game. (laughs) I will not be doing that. (laughs) Logan Thomas is somebody that I've had my eye on, and it's important, I think, to keep in mind that when we talk about Logan Thomas or somebody like that, we're talking about a very end of the draft lottery ticket, maybe even a waiver wire guy, just somebody to keep in mind in case something happens. The odds are against Logan Thomas actually becoming a consistent thing in any fantasy format. But Logan Thomas isn't a good spot for him to find fantasy relevance. I think Washington's going to be bad they have Terry McLaurin and then so little else that people are are legitimately excited about Steven Sims. So there's room for Logan Thomas to be a thing if he's ready to actually be a for real tight end. And Ron Rivera talked him up after the team signed him back in the spring, I believe it was. Yeah, and there's a report from the Washington Post recently that Thomas looks like Washington's lead tight end. I don't even think he's draftable in lineup setting leagues. And I don't think you, you waste the roster spot. I think you want, you know, one or two tight ends better than Logan Thomas entering the season, but he's definitely someone, I think the first couple of weeks we want to see, you know, how many snaps he's playing, how many routes he's running, you know, what percent of the targets he's getting. Um, he, he's at least an intriguing athlete. I mean, he was a, he was a former quarterback. He was a quarterback in college transitioned to tight end. He has just 35 NFL catches and he's been in the league for, you know, a handful of years now, but he's six, six, 248 pounds four six speed. So, you know, there's a little, there's a little, I don't want to, inflate expectations there's a little darren waller to him who's who's changing positions big fast um and like you said i think there's room for thomas to you know finish second or third on this team in targets this season even if he's not darren waller or terrell Pryor, maybe he could at least be matt jones oh that's that's no good i don't want matt jones matt jones was a first (laughs) pick matt jones is a cost he disappointed versus where he went but he gave us some numbers before he disappeared completely that's fair. I guess if Thomas could have the career of a first-round pick, that's not bad. Or maybe, you know, a seventh-round quarterback turned wide receiver like Julian Edelman. <laughs> there you go. 
On the fallers side, AJ Green's got to come up first. He did. He was expected to return to the practice field today, Wednesday. I haven't seen actual confirmation that he did, but the Bengals were certainly talking as though he was going to be out there and they were going to get him back into drills this week. Zach Taylor also said, of course, AJ Green was out for a little while with a hamstring injury. Zach Taylor was talking as though it was just like the smart move with a veteran that they knew didn't really need the practice time rather than a specifically worrisome injury. And I mean, it is still August 26th. We've got two plus weeks until the, the games begin. So they can't be too worried about it, but it is AJ Green. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It, he's just the last person I wanted to see get her in training camp this, this season after you know missing all of last season, missing half of 2018. It does at least seem like it was a minor hamstring injury. He, I, I did see he was back on the field today. So you know, if he can string together a week or two of, of good health here, you know, he'll, he'll be someone I'm interested in drafting again. His ADP has sunk into the seventh round. I think it was like mid to late sixth before the injury. So he's a bit cheaper. I, I still think as far as strictly upside goes, like there's, there's few, if any wide receivers in the seventh round that have a higher ceiling than AJ green. He also probably has the lowest floor of anyone going in the seventh round. Yeah. I mean, he's a player that you have to decide whether you want to bother with or just skip completely. And I can understand either way, but I don't think that you can say anybody down there has a higher ceiling because every time that AJ Green has been on the field, he has performed as a wide receiver one. He's been a top 12 level fantasy performer every time that he's been on the field healthy. So that's the upside. He's displayed it. We have no idea what he you know, will do this season, but he should have a QB upgrade. He's still the biggest talent on that team. So the upside's there and there's value in the range where he's going to go. Yeah. And it sounds like Joe Burrow has been playing well in camp so far. So I'm still excited about that Bengals offense, which sounds a little strange to say, but I am. You got to find something to be excited about for that team every <laughs> once in a while. Um, Mike Williams, speaking of excited, we were looking forward to his season before, and then he had to go out and hurt his shoulder like a jerk. Sounds like the team expects him to be out for two to four weeks. That obviously threatens his week one availability. Anthony Lynn has said they don't know whether Mike Williams will be ready for the season opener. So it's not a death knell for his fantasy outlook, but it certainly damages that outlook for at least the early part of the season. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, he, he's been so cheap and I expect him to only get cheaper from here that he's still probably a guy I'm going to be interested in drafting. And, um, you know, his ADP right now is sitting, you know, right around the 12th. 13th round turn. I even think at that price, even with this injury, he, he's worth it because, you know, he, he's the clear number two wide receiver there. I think that Chargers offense is going to be better than most people are expecting. It seems like no one wants to draft any Chargers, um, which I, I don't think is the right way to go. I think Williams presents value. I think Keenan Allen is presenting some value. So we'll see where Williams ADP goes from here. But again, anywhere in the double digit rounds, even if he's going to miss a game or two, I think he's worth taking a shot on. And I think the injury for Mike Williams only makes it easier to make the case for Keenan Allen being a very solid pick at his already depressed ADP. Hunter Henry, too. I mean, you know, he often goes like eighth, ninth, tenth among tight ends. I think, you know, the talent and the fact that he's locked into a pretty big share of the targets for the Chargers makes him a, a, a fine pick there. Here are the rest of the receivers on the Chargers roster, which I just had to look <laughs> up to be able to name Jeff Cotton, Jalen Guyton, KJ Hill. Darius Jennings, Tyron Johnson, Jason Moore, Joe Reed, Dalton Schoen. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about any of those guys. I know a couple of them because they're rookies this year. Darius Jennings has been bouncing around for a while, but there's nobody there that's going to emerge and hold Mike Williams back once his shoulder is ready. And there's certainly nobody there that's going to push Keenan Allen aside 
if there's no Mike Williams in week one or even week two. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious what their plan is, like, just for week one, if Williams isn't ready. Like, I don't know who they're going to throw out there as the number two wide receiver. So that you know, that's good news for Keenan Allen. It's good news for Hunter Henry. It's good news for Austin Eckler. I think, you know, those guys are the pretty clear top three targets in that passing game for as long as Williams is out. It's good news for my one best ball roster where I have Joe Reed. If I can get some reports yeah. that he's going to be in the lineup, I, I, I might get excited. He's been running at least some – with the running back group. I don't know if it's been strictly with the running backs, but um, I'm not not sure exactly how they plan to use him. Yeah, that's fair. I'm certainly not expecting much from Joe Reed. Joe Reed though is somebody worth rostering in a kick return league. There are not many of those out there, but every year I get a couple of questions from people that get kick return yardage. So put Joe Reed in there and the, the Mike Williams situation at least gives him a little bit upside there. I like it. Another Williams, Tyrell Williams, somebody that I spend every July and August getting excited about. He's got a torn labrum in one of his shoulders. He's going to rehab it for a few weeks reportedly and then try to play through it. There are players who play through torn shoulder labrums. So I know that it's possible. I can't, I have no idea what it's like to play through it as a wide receiver or not like I know how to play through it another position, but you know, we'll see about him dealing with it. It's certainly tough to remain excited about Tyrell Williams. And I say that as somebody who fights through any challenges of being excited about Tyrell Williams? Yeah, I mean, he was a guy I'd been taking a lot in best ball already, though. You know, looking at lineup setting leagues now, he was a guy that I probably wasn't going to take nearly as often, if at all. Um, now he, he's pretty much off my board at this point. It's just, you know, I think if, if you draft him, you're just going to be worried. He takes one big hit or, you know, falls the wrong way and he's going to, you know, re injure that shoulder and he's going to be done. Brian Edwards is the guy I'd rather take if I'm taking a flyer on a Raiders wide receiver now. Um, he's been a buzzy rookie even before the Tyrell Williams injury. I think he's the guy who's going to, you know, step into Williams' spot in that offense if uh, Williams does miss time. So Brian Edwards is the guy I'd be looking at super late. Yeah, I like Brian Edwards. I think it makes Henry Ruggs. Uh, an even comfier pick in an already solid range. We've talked about like the round 10 wide receivers. So Henry Ruggs is going to go probably in the same range as like Jalen Rager. I think they're very similar in their outlooks. Either could uh, lead their team in targets. I think Henry Ruggs is a better bet to lead the Raiders wide receivers and targets than Jalen Rager is for the Eagles for what that's worth. And like another mark in favor of both Edwards and Henry Ruggs is Mike Mayock is talking up Nelson Aguilar and Zay Jones. I don't care how good a shape they're in. Each of those guys has had multiple chances to show that they're actually going to deliver in the NFL, and it hasn't happened yet. So if those are the guys that you're optimistic for, I think it it means good things for the rookie wide receivers that you have out there, Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs. Yeah, I mean, I think Hunter Renfro is the other guy to at least keep an eye on in Oakland. It's not Zay Jones or, or Nelson Aguilar. I think if if Tyra Williams does miss time, that that's there were there were questions about if Renfro was you know going to be one of the Raiders' top three wide receivers still. But I think if, if Tyra Williams is out, then Renfro will be. It'll be, you know, Edwards and Ruggs on the outside and Renfro back in the slot. Yeah, I mean, we'll see exactly how all that works out. Make Mayick was, was, of course, talking about the other um, wide receivers down the roster, and they had said that they were planning to use Henry Ruggs a lot in the slot to begin with. So, you know, we'll see how the playing time sorts out. It's going to be the kind of thing we probably won't really know until week one when we know if Tyra Williams is back and, you know, we have the, the picture coming together for us. Yeah, I think Ruggs the only guy you're drafting in most fantasy leagues right now. Justin Jefferson has moved down our rankings. Already somebody that I didn't really want. And, you know, there's nothing terrible on him. It just sounds like he's not standing out in training camp. Yeah, just off to a slow start. You know, it doesn't make me think any less of him in Dynasty. But at at minimum, I think he's not going to be a guy that we can count on 
early this season. He's still running primarily with the second team. He's behind Ola BC Johnson. Um, and we know the Vikings aren't going to run a ton of three wide receiver sets. So I'm not sure, you know, how much Jefferson's going to play early on. I, I still expect him to finish second on the Vikings in targets this season. Might be a fantasy option, you know, later on in the year. But in shallower leagues, I think he's not draftable. And even in deeper leagues, he's just a bench stash right now. Yeah, I wasn't interested before. I'm certainly less interested now. BC Johnson, okay, at the very end of a draft. You know, we're talking about guys like Russell Gage, uh, Cole Beasley. I would probably rather take BC Johnson than Cole Beasley because I think that there's more of a path to reliable targets. But, you know, it's in a range where I'm not going to arm wrestle you for any specific player. I think the most interesting guy with this is Irv Smith, who I've already kind of come around on the upside for. I think, you know, Justin Jefferson starting out slowly only adds upside to Irv Smith's situation. Yeah, Irv Smith's like uh, Paris Campbell at tight end. It's, just, it's tough to find him enough targets to really rank him highly, but I would not. He's a guy I want to bet on. We talked about this before, just how good he was at a rookie at his age. Um, he's a guy I want to bet on. If he's going to break out at some point, and it obviously could come this season. Really overall, I, I can't say that I'm pounding the table for Vikings in general. That, that whole offense just makes me think like – I don't know. And then I'm feeling right. Well, yeah. I mean, I like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like when I'm wondering about players, I'm not like, Oh yeah, I want, I like the upside on that guy. Cause I'm like, they plays yeah. for Vikings. But then at the same time I start heading down that path. I'm like, wait a second. Gary Kubiak is the OC. I know that they lost their offensive coordinator, but they lost their coordinator and then switched to a guy who has plenty of offensive success behind him in the NFL. So at the same time that I'm talking down the Vikings offense to myself, I then, remind myself that maybe I shouldn't be and maybe I'm underrating somebody like Irv Smith late in draft. When I think if there is, I think potentially the biggest fantasy impact of Justin Jefferson not being ready out of the gate is it just mean means more targets for Adam Thielen, who I, I, I think is going to be you know up, up near 30% of the targets at least to start the season. The Vikings defense could take a pretty big step back this season too. I mean, personnel-wise, they're not very good. I know Mike Zimmer is you know, one of the better defensive minds in the NFL, but if that defense takes a step back, they're going to be playing from behind quite a bit more than they did last season. Yeah, I'll be curious to watch that. They didn't really lose people by accident. Like pretty much everybody that left that defense left because the team chose to let them leave, but it's a lot of turnover. And so we'll see um, how the new group works out. Final guy on the followers list is Daryl Henderson. And it's kind of like a necessary drop. He suffered a hamstring strain. It was low grade. According to the team, there's optimism that he'll be ready for week one. So we'll keep watching Daryl Henderson, but you know, him being out, obviously only helps Cam Akers. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that Henderson might not even be ready for week one, I think at minimum that means he's not really going to be on the practice field up until that point with a chance to, you know, claim any kind of role out of the gate. So, I mean, I, I think this opens the door for Cam Akers to be the lead back in week one. And again, I, I think Akers is good enough to just, you know, take that job and sort of run with it and, and be the clear lead back for the entire season. I get it. Take it and run with it. <laughs> I did see Cam Silva of uh, Rams Wire saying that he expects Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown to share the job and that they've been close in, in practices so far. I will remind anybody who might be concerned about that, that Malcolm Brown, and if you own Todd Gurley last year, you know how Malcolm Brown's season started out. In week one, he had 11 carries, 53 yards, two touchdowns against the Panthers. Then Malcolm Brown topped six carries just two more times the rest of the season. He reached 40 yards one more time and never exceeded that number in any game the rest of the season. He totaled six targets. So if Cam Akers opens the season sharing the job with Malcolm Brown, I think that's good news for Cam Akers because he should quickly push Malcolm Brown aside and take over that job. 
Cam Akers isn't the player that that we think he is if he can't, you know, pretty easily beat out Malcolm Brown early in the season. Yeah, and if neither of them is productive, if Cam Akers doesn't deliver over the first couple of weeks, then maybe it's just time to change how we think about the Rams offense. <laughs> That's fair. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our up-to-date fantasy football projections, build your own MVP board customized to fit your league's scoring system and settings, and practice drafting in our mock draft trainer. You can also find our division-by-division podcast preview series covering every team to learn more about all these players and all these situations. Of course, the in-depth player profiles on DS give you the fullest story you could hope to get on pretty much any fantasy-relevant guy, including most of the guys we talked about on this show, if not all of them. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.